So let's divide this up. I think we can divide it up into those. Well, oh, one. yeah, yeah. But these are the ones who are going to reign for a thousand years. Yeah, but who are they? I, I believe those are the ones who were all beheaded during that time of tribulation. Who else could they okay, be? Okay, so now here's a... Hello, and welcome to this edition of That They Might Know, a podcast dedicated to proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. I am your host, Dr. William Mazella, and our teacher is my friend and brother in the Lord, Joe Durso. After enjoying this discussion of God's Word, if you are seeking discipleship or biblical counseling, please email us. Now for today's message. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for every opportunity to give you praise and glory. I pray, Lord, these things, that you would be pleased with them. So I would ask, Lord, that you don't let anything come out of our mouth that would you would be displeasing to you. I pray that every word would give you the proper honor and glory that you deserve. I also pray for the hearers that will, you know, stumble upon or come in on purpose uh, to hear this interview with my brother. I pray, Lord, that you would just bless them in the hearing of this. Uh, as we quote scripture, as we think through biblical ideas, may, they, may we be truthful, may we be correct in how we think about what your Bible, what your word says, what's written therein. We ask these things for your honor and glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so for those listening in, I'm here with my brother once again, and I'm going to talk about heaven, about the last closing chapters of the Bible. Uh, at breakfast this morning, my brother brought up, you know, what's, what's on your mind and your heart, and he said heaven. And, um, and then brought up the idea that, you know, it isn't on the minds and hearts enough of people today, which I've heard John MacArthur say. Um, so, uh, beginning in Revelation 21, what's, what's there? That's no, I'm in four. Which one? I'm in chapter four. Chapter four of Revelation? I'm in chapter four. Okay, why don't you start reading what's, what you think of uh, After these things I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. I'm reading the NASV. And the first voice which I had heard, like the sound of a trumpet speaking with me, said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after these things. And of course, those are the things that he mentioned about the churches in the first three chapters. Immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, the throne was standing in heaven, and one sitting on the throne, which was God the Father. And he who was sitting was like a jasper stone, and a sardius in appearance, and there was a rainbow around the throne like an emerald in appearance, and around the throne were twenty-four thrones. And upon the thrones I saw twenty-four elders sitting, clothed in white garments and golden crowns on their heads. And of course the first question is, who is the twenty-four uh, elders sitting in white garments? you have thoughts on that, Joseph? Well, to be perfectly honest, uh, I don't know who they are. So, uh, thank you. We got a good start. <laughs> well, I mean, I let's think honesty is a good start. Let's discuss all the things we don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so immediately, I was in the spirit. So he's. This is you know, we know that that he's in the spirit. That's one thing we can say. And behold, a throne was standing in heaven. And someone was sitting. Someone. 
So now let me throw this back at you. Who is the someone on the throne? <laughs> I think I said God the Father was on the throne. Now I was just reading here. The first creature was like a lion. The second was like a kengal. <laughs> the third was like the face. <laughs> no, I'm going to have to give a little backdrop to the kengal. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's good. I, but, you I know, there I, needs I, to be rejoicing I, I, I in the church. You. I'm rejoicing. And that's what we're doing I'm today. rejoicing. We're, we're, <laughs> and anyway, um, a kengal is the most powerful dog in the world. It's found in Turkey. With a 740 PSI bite, they can take on a tiger. And now it's going to be on my brother's mind because I went to YouTube and showed him this fascinating creature that God created. Okay. That's going to sit down with the lion and the lamb. <laughs> uh, can we get back to something serious? Yeah, four living creatures, each one of them having six wings and full of eyes around and within day and night, and they do not cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, who was and who is and who is to come. I, I, you know, I always thought that this holy, holy, holy meant because of the three in one. But um, I, I, I know we have to exalt God to the, not only the first degree, the, not even the second degree, but to the third degree. But does it, would that have any... Credence, holy, 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 <clears throat> talking about God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Well, of course, that's been around for a long it time. It has. But, you know, um, I don't know, it was a class, I think, uh, and there at the Shepherds Conference, and I heard him talking. And, you know, in the scriptures, there's no italics, there's no bold, there's no things that we use today to emphasize words. So back in the Greek and the Hebrew, uh, in those ancient days, what they used to do is repeat themselves. So technically, there's no reference in there to the Trinity exactly that you can pinpoint it, but it is an emphasizing, for emphasis, repeating for emphasis, holy, holy, holy. I think that's more accurate than pointing to the Trinity. If there was the Trinity somewhere stated in there, we might say, okay, but where's the Trinity actually Clearly stated, it's not. I, I think the one sitting on the throne really is Christ, am I right? Because they're worshiping the one, in verse 10, 24 elders will fall down before him who sits on the throne and will worship him who lives forever and ever and cast their crones before the throne. That would be God the Son. Well, let me ask you this. When, when it talks about Christ sitting at the right hand of the Father, so is he sitting at the right hand of this throne, or where does that apply? Now, now, something I never did understand when they talk about God sitting, I mean, God the Father is the Spirit, am I right? I think that's accurate. So how can we say he's sitting? Can you explain? I think you got here's me. One of, here's one of those things that, you know, confounds our minds when we, when we think about God the Father and God the Son. You know, there's that theory, and I should say theory, but people, there are people who think and that preach that, you know, God is sometimes the Father, sometimes the Son, sometimes the Holy Ghost. He takes three different forms, but here we see that's, that's impossible because he's sitting on the throne next to God the Father. So that can't be. Worthy art thou, O Lord and God, who receive glory and honor and power, for thou dost create all things. 
and because of thy will they existed and were created. Just make sure you talk on. So, so Christ did create. He was part of the, the creation process. And I saw in his right hand, who sat on the throne, a book written inside and in on the back, sealed with seven seals. Now, God has given Christ all power and glory forever and ever. So he's the one that possesses the book, and he's the only one that can open the seven seals. Am I right? Absolutely. We understand the, the Trinity to be one God. One right? God. Deuteronomy 6.4. And uh, as one God in three persons, they all live simultaneously and at the same time have their own personhood. So what Jesus says, Philip, have I been with you so long? I mean, if you, and you ask to see the Father. I mean, if you see me, you see the Father. There's, he's, he's there talking about the oneness of God. And at the same time, there's Father and Son. I mean, we can't comprehend it or really make it clear we just believe that it's so, and it makes sense, it's reasonable that there's one God in three persons. We're not talking unreasonable. Um, it's just incomprehensible. Would, would you agree with that? Mm-hmm. We also see the lion that is, all this is describing Christ, the lion who is from the tribe of Judah, root of David, has overcome so as to open the book on its seven seals. And I saw between the throne of four living creatures and the elders a lamb, there's only one lamb, and that's Christ standing as if slain. And we know Christ was slain. He was hung on the cross for the sins of humanity, <clears throat> having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. Now, this is saying that the lamb has seven horns and seven eyes. Could that be explained? You know, I kind of lost you a little bit. What verse are you on? Six. And I saw between the throne the four living creatures and the elders a lamb standing as if slaughtered, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. So is the Bible saying that the spirit is Christ or is it the spirit of Christ? What's the Bible saying here? You know, I'm a little confused. Let me tell you, let me ask you this. <laughs> We're just thinking through this, right? So you go from a lion to a lamb. And when I had considered this a long time ago when I was thinking about the book that I wrote, there's so many interpretations of, you know, until him who was taken out of the way. And I I understand some believe it's St. Peter and this and that and the other thing. And when I read this and then I realized, I think it's three times in in Revelation, it talks about the wrath of the lamb. There's no wrath of the lamb except this portion in Revelation. And you, you, you have a lamb is, a, is an animal which tells us that it's, it, it doesn't have any weapons. It doesn't defend itself. It's just a lamb. That's part of its character and its attributes. And uh, so here, when you talk about it, it doesn't even make sense, a wrath of the lamb. What, what's that mean? You know, a lion, yes. You don't want you don't want a, an, a lion mad at you. So anyway, to put all this together, it's like God has this side of Him that's loving and kind and patient and gracious, and there's just this mothering, nurturing God, Jehovah, you know, El, El Shaddai, this this God that nurtures and feeds, and 
And then when you get to the end, when God is just done with patience, and I could be way off here, but you know, when his patience runs out, then this lamb-like quality of God runs out, then you get the wrath of the lamb. It's not the wrath of the lion. And I concluded, and I can be off here, that the lamb was holding back. I mean, who's going to hold back God other than God, is the way I was thinking. And I still think it's kind of true. And so he's holding himself back. He's patient and patient for thousands of years. And then finally he comes according to the plan to the point where I'm not holding it back anymore. Okay, now we're going to pay out retribution for, for persecuted Christians and, and, and Israelites and throughout the years, pay out for all the sins that have been taking place. And you know, So I've laid out quite a few things. What, what is your response to what I'm saying? Yeah, and according to what you're saying here in verse 10 of chapter 6, they cried out with a loud voice saying, How long, how long, O Lord, holy and true, will thou refrain from judging? That's what you're talking about. And avenging our blood on those who dwell on the earth. And that's just what you were saying about God's mercy and patience of the Lamb sending out all this wrath. By the way, in verse 7 here of 5, when I said it was the Father sitting on the throne, verse 7 says, And he came and he took it out of my right hand of him who sat on the throne. So obviously Jesus did come and take the scroll out of the hand of the Father. Am I right? That's what it would say, yeah. And he taken the book of the four living creatures and 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, having each one a harp, golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And the saints eventually will be martyred during the time of what we call, there is no, Bible doesn't talk of a tribulation, period. It talks about a great tribulation. But it talks about a tribulation. The church will go through a tribulation. The church should go through a tribulation. The martyrs that we eventually see will be all the saints that were martyred because of their testimony of Jesus Christ. The way I understand the scriptures is that the, the seals were part of God's judgment against man, but I see it as being man's judgment upon man himself. Uh, the first one being the false Christ, and then war and famine and so on and so on, and then the fifth seal is the martyrs under the altar. By the way, um, I don't know how this could be the great wrath of God, because when we come to chapter 6, towards the end, I'll read from 15 on, and the kings of the earth and the great men and the commanders and the rich and the strong, every slave and free man hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains. And they said to the mountains and to the rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the presence of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. Now everyone will admit that from all of six is describing the seals being opened up and all this that's going on. And then we come to verse 17. Well, I'll read 16 again. And they said to the mountains and to the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the presence of him who sits on the throne, from the wrath of the Lamb, for the great day of their wrath has come. And who is able to stand? Now 
the great day of his wrath has come. Up till now, we had the release of all the seven seals. And now as we read this, we begin to see the great day of his wrath has come now. It hasn't been. It's now. So when you read this, 17. We just finished the sixth wrath. The sun became black cloth in verse 12 and 13. The sky was split apart like a roll. That was the sixth seal. And now in verse 17, we see, For the day of their wrath has come. Who will be able to stand? Now it's going to come. It's going to follow. So the seals couldn't have been God's wrath. The wrath now of God, and you know that when it comes, is going to come now. But first there's an interlude. First there's an interlude, and the remnant of Israel, the 144,000. In verse 2 of 7, it says, And I saw another angel ascending from the rising of the sun, having the seal of the living God, and he cried out with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it has been granted to harm the heaven and the earth. There's an interlude. Now, do not harm the earth, the voice says, or the sea or the trees, until we have sealed the bond servants of our God on their foreheads, have put this seal now, obviously, if the wrath of God was coming, it had come in, ver- in all of chapter 6, why is the servants being sealed now? It makes no sense. It makes no sense. So now we read about the 144,000 being sealed, the 12 tribes. Uh, incidentally, the only one who knows the 12 tribes is God himself, because the, the records of all the Jewish people were destroyed back in 70 AD. Verse 10, salvation to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders. On and on and on and on. Verse 16, they shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more, neither shall the sun be down on them, nor any heat. For the Lamb in the center of the throne shall be their shepherd and shall guide them to springs of the water of life and God shall wipe every tear from their eyes. And now the seventh seal, which is now really all the trumpets. The seventh seal is really all the trumpets now. There was silence in heaven for about half an hour. And I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and the seven trumpets were given to them. The angel came, stood on the altar, holding the golden censer. And much incense was given to him that he might add to the prayers of the saints upon the golden altar. The question that they had about how long, Lord, how long is now going to be answered. And now God is going to bring his wrath upon the earth. I don't see how you could see it any other way. Okay, so let's sum it up, what, <clears throat> what you've just been talking about. So we have wrath. I'm not going to, I don't want to sum it up. I want you to sum it up. You have wrath and then you have tribulation that's pre-wrath and then you have wrath of the Lamb. So yeah, just kind of put together the, everything. The, that the, the seals, which we, the Bible talks about in chapter six, are man's inhumanity against man. It's something that uh, has to happen. Um, winding up with the saints who profess Christ, who have a mark on their head because they are following Christ, and the. Antichrist will search them out and kill them. And those are the saints under the altar who will eventually say, Lord, how long? 
and this is the prelude to the Great Tribulation. That's the tribulation we're talking about. You know, God said in the world you will have tribulation. So tribulation should not be a surprise when we say that there's going to be tribulation seal, the seven the seven seals which talked about in chapter seven, because the Lord said they will in this world you will have tribulation, and that's exactly what's happening. That is a far cry, and I think you could understand that. That is a far cry from the wrath of God. Jesus said there will be tribulation, and there's been tribulation upon the saints since he was here, since he came, and since he died. All generations have had tribulation. This tribulation is no different than any other tribulation. Can you honestly say that this tribulation is worse than what some of the saints down through the centuries have experienced? I mean, being quartered, being burned at the stake, being put in an arena with lions. Uh, This is the tribulation that the saints of God have experienced. So this tribulation is no different than any other tribulation, but the wrath of God, the trumpets and the bowls, is what is being talked about here now in chapter 8. And again, we have the saints praying, how long, how long, And in verse 14, and I said to him, my Lord, you know, and he said to me, these are the ones who come out of the great tribulation and they have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. And for this reason, they are before the throne of God and they serve day and night. And he who sits on the throne shall spread his tabernacle over them. He broke the seventh seal, which now introduces the trumpets. And the wrath of God now is poured out upon the earth. In verse 3 it says, Another angel came and stood at the altar holding a golden censer, and much incense was given to him that he might add to the prayers of all the saints upon the altar which was before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints went up before God out of the angel's hand, and the angel took the censer, and he filled it with fire of the altar, threw it to the earth, And there followed peals of thunder and sounds of flashes of lightning and of an earthquake. And the seven angels and the seven trumpets prepared themselves to sound them. The first sounded, and there came hail and fire mixed with blood. And as you read on, you see that God continues now to pour out his wrath upon the earth. A third of the earth was burned up. A third of the trees were burned up. All the green grass was burned up. And this is the beginning of the end of the earth before God creates a whole new earth, which was always God's intention right from the beginning. So let me see if we There's one catastrophe after another. So how would we, how would you, you've already done this, but let me see if I can summarize it real quick. So there's this, because I want to get to heaven too. (laughs) There's, uh, There's this, tribulation, which has been constant for 2,000 years. And before that, I mean, Isaiah stuck in the hollow of a tree and sawn in two. And I mean, just the revel, you know, of Hebrews chapter 11 and all these tortures and it's gone on. For God, with God's people, Cain being, you know, Abel being slain by Cain. And it's all the way back. So until, until this period of time, which is in Daniel at 490 years, with that seven-year period left, Christ comes in 
on the donkey and signifies the end of that 483 years, leaving seven years left. And then the clock won't start again until this period of the end, which is the doorway into the millennial kingdom. And so what I hear you saying, which I totally agree with, is this, this distinction between a tribulation period, which has always been, and the wrath of the Lamb. And there's this verse in... It's not, okay, so in, in chapter 16 and verse 18 says, And there were flashes of lightning and sounds and peals of thunder, and there was a great earthquake, such as there has not been since man came upon the earth. So great an earthquake was it, and so mighty, the great city was split into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell. So this is not an earthquake like we know earthquakes that are lo have location in one specific location. But this is the entire planet in the Greek word, which actually means to shake, a commotion, a shaking, where God literally takes the entire earth and shakes it. This is when his wrath is being poured out upon the planet in an, in a, an example of just God's fury. And this, remember, is all a prelude to the millennial kingdom that's about to come. He's done with the planet the way it is. His patience is done. Okay, we're going we're gonna to start over new, meaning in the millennial kingdom. Life is not going to go on as, as it always has in the past previous at least 6,000 years. Uh, but now we're going to have 1,000 years where it's going to be different. And so the, the, the wrath of the Lamb comes. Can you add something to that, or are we finished? No, I agree, with? I agree. So in this, in this whole portion, what, that brings us basically up to the millennial kingdom, which is in chapter 20, where Christ reigns, Israel reigns, 140, you know, there's only one thing, and maybe we can just discuss this for a second, is who are the living people who go into the millennial kingdom? Are there any, like, are there any, Saved people <laughs> going into the millennial kingdom, and if so, I, I've never figured this out. I'm just I, like, I'm, yeah, I don't want to say if I'm not sure. <laughs> okay, so um, let's just stop there. As is there anything who? that the the Bible hints at? Of, uh, I think it does say one. Um, well, leading up in twenty, uh, I don't know. See, I, I don't know. I think it does say about these then, are the ones verse who go four into the verse twenty. What do you think about this? what is it? In verse four of chapter twenty, then I saw thrones and they sat on them. And we have to decide who they are. And judgment was given to them. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony of Jesus and because of the word of God, and those who had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received the mark on their forehead and on their hand, and they came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. So let's divide this up. I think we can divide it up into those. Well, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, these are the ones who are going to reign for a thousand years. Yeah, but who are they? I, I believe those are the ones who were all beheaded during that time of tribulation. Who else could they okay, be? Okay, so now here's a, here's a, let me throw a little wrench in that. I, I believe they are those. But when he tells the apostles, you're gonna you're gonna rule you're gonna judge Israel, so would they not be included in this? And if the apostles are included in this, wouldn't the church be included in this? Yeah. 
So let's just say that that's true. So then you have you have those beheaded during the period. You yeah, have 144,000. It's, it's not the ones that took the mark of the beast. The mark of the, the beast is going to come about during the tribulation. And which that, that for, I, let's put it this way. Instead of keep saying tribulation, let's just talk about Daniel's 70th week. The beginning of those first three and a half years that the beast will be upon the earth. It couldn't be more clear. Those who have not taken the mark of the beast. Well, do, do, the, are they, are they the, the only, mark but they're not the only head. ones there, right? No. No. Okay. So they're not the only ones there. And they so reign they're, for, maybe they're prominent. for a thousand years. And maybe they're more prominent. I don't know. The 144,000 are there. Why do people say that the, 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 the thousand years is, I'm a, uh, um, like I hate to say Roman, Roman Catholicism, they don't even believe in a thousand years. But there are those who think that this thousand years is, uh, is not a literal thousand years. Well, well, what is it? It says with Christ for a thousand years. <laughs> I mean, it mentions a thousand years three or four times in Revelation. Well, you know, we're, po- we're both re- re- reformed in our theology. That, so I, if you're reformed in even your theology, that, I think. you take the Bible literally. Yeah, yeah. Look, the rest of the dead did not come to life until the f- thousand years were completed. I mean, how do you, how do you spiritualize that? You can't. You can't. You can't have you can't. allegories in the no, Bible. No, no, no. It's just got to be literal, unless you don't know what it means. And again, <laughs> it says, "Blessed and holy is the one who has a part in the first resurrection." Over these, the second death has no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. Again. And then it goes on. And okay, when a thousand a years are completed, and it talks about it again. All right, so let me ask you this. So if there's a first resurrection, we're going to assume, right, that there's a second. Mm-hmm. So the second resurrection, as I understand, it comes out of the new heaven and the new earth. So the first heaven, the first earth, is still here for the millennial reign. We have a resurrection from the dead, which is the bodies of everyone who's lived, who are believers. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, those who aren't raised are those who will be spending time in hell with the rest of everyone who's died in the past. And so now for a thousand years, you have the saints reigning. And I don't know, are there people left alive who were not killed, but did not receive the mark but did receive the mark of the base, do they go into the millennial kingdom or else who's populating the earth? Is it just, who is populating the earth? This is a question I don't think I've answered. (laughs) Well, it has to be all those who were faithful to Christ during their lifetime. I mean, if it's good, that's it now. Once the new heavens and earth are created, all those who were always faithful and who, whom God has chosen from the beginning of time, those are the ones who are going to be living on earth, whether Jew or Gentile. But the Bible says that there's no distinction between Jew or Gentile. So in, that in the sense, resurrection, in that sense, in the resurrection, the first resurrection, do people then continue to propagate again, or do we have resurrected bodies that will not be doing that? Now you're asking me too much. <laughs> <laughs> well, I want you to know that I'm asking uh, in the same way I think about this with the same frustration. <laughs> That I don't have complete all answers to Well, this. wait till I die and come back, and I'll answer you. <laughs> well, I just, I just have always wanted an answer to that question. I guess I was hoping that you, you had one. <laughs> Let me think about it. <laughs> uh-huh. 
So beginning in, in, while you're thinking about it, you know, in chapter 21, we're starting with a new heaven and a new earth. This is, this is where now we're thinking about heaven. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth passed away and there was no longer any sea. So, you know, some say, and I, I tend to go with them on that, what is it, why is this here? There's no longer any sea. And is that like a little clue that this is not a water-based world anymore? No. Right. 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 So I saw the holy city, Jerusalem. Now, let me, this, wait a minute. But to your, you said, but you were, I wanted to know, verse 7 says, he who overcomes shall inherit these things. Who were the overcomers? The Bible what verse talk, are you looking at? 7. Does the Bible talk about overcomers previous to this? Those who overcomes. The he who overcomes shall inherit these things. Well, remember now in the church, in chapters 2 and 3, overcome is always used. You know, the blessing comes to the overcomer. The overcomer is the person who's in Christ, because only a person identified in Christ's death and living out his death by the power of the Holy Spirit and regeneration of his soul can be an overcomer. Agreed, of course, right? Mm-hmm. So we're talking about those who are renewed in spirit, those who are regenerate believers. Those are the ones who will inherit these things. I will be his God and he will be my son. I mean, that could not be more clear. Those are sons of God who are made sons of God in the rebirth. And I have a word for the cowards, <laughs> the unbelieving, the abomination, murderers, the abominable, murderers, immoral persons, sorcerers, and idolaters, and all liars, their part will be in the lake that burns with fire. So I would suggest that you change your way of living. Come to know Christ because you're on a slippery slope. That's in verse 8 of chapter 21. So let's put something to rest. You know, I'm around a lot of people that when I bring up regeneration and a transformation of life, the immediate response that I now get is nobody's perfect. What is your response to a person who puts salvation in the, in the realm of sinful? Well, I don't know if I understand that question. Okay, so salvation uh, in the realm right of now sinful. you just quoted a verse that talks about no murderers, no immoral, no sorcerers, no idolaters. That's kind of like no liars. An overcoming, transformed life. That's us in our unregenerated state. In our unregenerated state, we are all those people. We, we, could be, we could be said to be all those people. First of all, the Lord said if you break one of these commandments, it's the same as if you've broken all of them. God, Adam in the, in the Garden of Eden committed one, one act against God. People will say, well, what's the big deal? He only ate of the fruit. He took a bite out of the fruit. What, what is the big deal? The big deal is that God said not to do something, and he did it. So he exercised his authority over God's. You can't do that. This is his world. We are creatures. He's the creator. And uh, God cannot look upon sin ever, ever, ever. It's the same as if we've broken the law. We've broken the Ten Commandments. Um, we are transformed. Yeah, this this is the picture of all unbelievers who have never been regenerated, who have never trusted Christ, who are not 
trusting Christ for their salvation, they will wind up in hell. There is a literal, real hell. Uh, that is a place set apart for, this, for Satan and his angels, and the unsaved will be thrown there. See, this is where, tell me this isn't true, <clears throat> if it isn't, that men in the world, when they hear the message of the gospel, which demands a transformation of life, this is where people get really annoyed. This is where they want to burn people at the stake, they want to cut their heads off, because they are set on never changing. I am who I am, don't tell me to be something else. And so the story goes, and, and there, there is no transformation that takes place. And, that, and I hear it all the time from people, and I don't know who they are sometimes, because they just want to push that nobody's perfect. Well, the Bible isn't teaching perfection, but it is teaching transformation, which isn't in the hands of us. I mean, it's God who does that work. It's a work of grace. But if that work is not done, not meaning perfection, and a true Christian, tell me this isn't true, has a, a much heightened consciousness of sin if you're walking with God. And that consciousness of sin tells you, I'm not perfect. I'm still sinning. You know, you're more aware, and you have to spend time with God and say, Lord, you know, I, I lost my temper, or I thought this, or or I got angry, or whatever the thing is, and you, you continue. So you're not perfect. But not perfect and not transformed is not the same thing. <laughs> Am I saying the right thing? Mm -hmm. So I don't know how you, how you make that distinction to people, but I understand if they got a heightened conscience, they don't want to hear perfection, but you have to hear transformation. Old things have passed away. Behold, old things are becoming new. If that isn't the truth, then you're not on your way to heaven. Okay, so as we conclude this in the next uh, little bit. So in the beginning of chapter 21, I saw, verse 1, a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there is no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them. Let me ask you something. We see and we now begin to read about this, the new Jerusalem coming down, and there's all kinds of details surrounding the new heavens, and you know, the, the space is done away with, and it's just full of brilliant light, and, and there's this... Uh, this, this magnificent city, 1,500 miles cubed. And you have all of those details, but it's adorned for a bride. Where's the description of the bride in chapters 21 and chapter 22? Because I, I can't find it. I can talk to you What about is the New Jerusalem? <laughs> what is it? I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. Is he comparing Jerusalem with a bride? Yes. Seems that way, doesn't it? <laughs> it does. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold the tabernacle of God. Now, uh, we know what the tabernacle was in the Old Testament, but we, we tabernacle, God tabernacles with man in, in his soul now the kingdom of god is within us 
Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men. Now, is that a literal tabernacle or is that that same tabernacle that's in us now? And he shall dwell among them and they shall be his people and God himself shall be among... You know something? I had a question which I've kept asking a few people. I don't know if I really got an answer. And that is, is are we going to be indwelt by the Holy Spirit after we are glorified? And a couple of times, I couldn't get an answer. And, and it's just that they weren't sure. They didn't know. And I wonder if this is the answer to that question. And God himself shall be among them, physically or internally. And he shall wipe away their tears, and there shall be no longer any death, and they shall no longer be mourning and crying. And the first things have passed away, and he who sits on the throne, behold, I am making all things new. Well, we'll let's go back to this question to answer that question. What is the purpose of it all? The, the new heaven and new earth? What's the purpose or of life, mankind, to salvation? To glorify God to and glorify enjoy him forever. <laughs> How Everything is for him. Everything is for him. Nothing is for us. Okay, so now what, has, what is God creating? Obviously, God doesn't need anything. No. Obviously, in no. eternity, he was complete, no. needed nothing. But he decided to do something. Let me just say this, and then you answer. <laughs> just like that. <laughs> yeah, just like that. We're talking about it. We're thinking about it. So here's God, and he's presenting a bride for his son. Right. I think in that is the key to right. glory right. and the answer to your question. Does God reside in us in eternity or is he just among us? Okay, for you and for my listeners, I'm going to I'm going to give you I'm going to state something here from Isaiah 6. And this is what it says. In the year the king Uzziah death, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, the Lord sitting on a throne, lofty and exalted, with the train of his robe filling the temple. Seraphim stood above him, each having six wings, two covered his face, two his feet, and two his, with he flew, and one called out to the other and said, and here goes back to your original statement, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his holiness. No, it doesn't say that says the whole earth is full of his glory. So the question is, what is glory? And there's been all kinds of answers, and I'm sure a lot of them are correct. But I've heard one that refers to this as holiness is God's, glory is God's revealed holiness. Now, I understand holy to be like this, and again, there's all kinds of definitions. I understand that sanctification is when people are made holy and they're made holy by being separated unto God. God is separate. I mean, he created all mankind, but it came out of nothing. It didn't come out of God. Only the Son comes out of the Father. As far as creation, it comes out of nothing, and it's separate from God. God is holy. He's distinct. He's infinite. He's perfect. He's good. All of that is God. We are the created. In the end, you're going to have a bride... And you're going to have a bride that's full of glory, which means full of holiness. So as God is, so will be the bride. I think that's the main purpose. I think without being lost and then identified with Christ in salvation, 
There is no glory for the bride. Is that an outlandish statement? No. To me, the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ and to bring to light what the administration of the mystery, which for ages has been hidden in God, who created all things in order that the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known through the church to the rulers and authorities, which even means the angels, in heavenly places. This was in accordance with the eternal purpose which he carried out in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and confidence and access through faith in him. Therefore, I ask you not to lose heart at my tribulations on your behalf, for they are your glory. That has to be a part of it. You want to explain it? No. <laughs> I want you to. <laughs> well, I think he's making something known here that was, he says what was hidden. He had to do it through the Gentile preaching and the Jewish preachers, of course. I mean, all... all whoever would be uh, called, the called of God, preach to the Gentiles the riches of Christ. To me, the very least of all the saints, this grace was given, was given, grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ. That's something we all need to do. That's something we should do. I mean, Paul did it, and we're supposed to do it also. And it's through the grace given by God. To bring to light what is the administration of the mystery, which for ages past had been hidden in God, who created all things. What is the administration of the mystery? In whom we have boldness and confident access through faith in him. The purpose according to, this was in accordance with his eternal purpose, which he carried out in Christ Jesus our Lord, through Christ. It could only have been carried out through Christ, in whom we have boldness and confidence and faith. I've heard Dr. Sproul say many times that, or, or maybe it was Dr. Lawson, that no man would ever have come up with this plan of salvation. It, it couldn't have, they would never have thought of it. There's no way that man could have come up with this plan of salvation. I mean, God coming and, and dying himself for the sins of man. They wouldn't come up with that. That in itself is, is part of the wisdom of God. That's why it says through carried out in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is in accordance with the eternal purpose. Question, what's the one thing that a sinful man would never think, I mean, as being really important? Well, if you go back to Socrates or Plato, Aristotle, Aristotle's big question was, how does the sinful man get right with God? How does a sinful man, or how does God, how does God reckon salvation to sinful so man? So see the way that's stated, that's stated, how does a sinful man get right with God? But yeah, how does a sinful, that, and that's at the that heart. puzzled him. That's that at the heart of every sinful man. That puzzled him. A sinful man will never think that God must do it. Right, that God <laughs> must do it. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> right. They, he, they would never come up with that. So when you're saying, a, you know, sinners would never think. <laughs> we feel that salvation. we have to do something. Right. We feel that we have to do something, right. and there's nothing that we can do. Right. So I think this is the whole point 
You get my drift? The whole, the whole point is that God has to do it. So when you God ask, is man it. going to be indwelt by the Holy Spirit? I'm going to go back to Ephesians chapter 3, and that's where we've been for a while. Is in Ephesians 1, 2, 3. That he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power, this is verse 16, through his spirit in the inner man. By what he did, what does that do? It brings glory to God. Exactly. It brings glory to God. So, yeah. it, well, it, wait a minute. What? What? what you what, can't get away from what it. he's this, strengthening in the inner man is this place where, in verse seventeen, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth. You know what that. Word dwell there, it means to settle down. That Christ may settle down, feel comfortable, and not want to leave. I think that the answer to your question, the old Christ in us, is absolutely, that's the whole purpose, so that as a channel of God's presence, power, plan, will, all of it will go through the church for eternity so that it's God who's doing it and we're the channel by which it happens. And that makes the bride acceptable to the Son. Are you with me? That's God's glory. Right. That's to God's glory. Socrates would never have thought of that. No, no. <laughs> no, he was too stupid. <laughs> he, he was blinded by sin like we all are. The stupidity ends when we understand the plan, and the plan is God. First... <laughs> And last, it's all about God. Right. Salvation, all about God. Glory, all about God. It's all about God. So when we said we were talking about thinking through all of this, you know, whether it's, whether it's wrath or, or whether it's tribulation or whether it's the millennial kingdom or it's the new heavens and the earth, it's all about God's glory. Where is that verse? In him and through him and... Why can't I find it? In Romans. Our old Romans. Where is 11? it? Where is it? 11. 11? 11. 11. But short, they lasted. Or it's the end of 10. I'm sorry. No, no, no. So from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. That's the end of man's effort right there. That's the end of man's effort. Everything is from him, through him, and to him, and there's nothing left for man to do. He does it all. He gets the glory for everything. That that verse seals everything for man's uh, efforts. How, it it how, brings him nothing. How, how much would the church be living an overcoming life if we would stay focused on that? It would be a whole lot better. <laughs> <laughs> Why don't you close us in prayer? Father God, we thank you for your word. There is a lamp unto our feet and a light to our path. We thank you that in a darkened world, we have fellowship with one another, we have the scriptures to guide our path, we know that we belong to you, which is enough to get us through any situation, any trial, and any tribulation. Help us not to moan and groan when you bring us through these deep waters, because the church just does not grow unless there is tribulation and suffering and death at times.
we know that by just looking at our past and seeing the men whose shoulders we stand on and who've given their life. Uh, um, William Tyndale gave his life, and his only sin was that he translated the Bible into English. And it goes to show you how treacherous man can be and how dishonoring he can be to you. And I was thinking when I was watching something that the men uh, that was being described, our pastor described, it was being so graphic about how Jesus, what his face must have looked like even when he was being, uh, before the crucifixion, um, when he was being scourged and he was saying how they were spitting in his face and they were, there probably was phlegm and everything just hanging from his face and slapping him. What he endured, God of, of God the Creator, the one who has formed us from the womb to come down here and expose himself to such hatred and dishonor. It boggles the mind. I know our sins do the same thing, but I tell you, I would never, oh, never have wanted to been standing there and do the things that they did to the physical Christ. It, it frightens us to think. So we just thank you that we're on this side of the cross. We don't know what the future brings and how much we're going to have to suffer. We just ask that you give us the grace if that time should come, that we would never deny you and that we would show you our true colors, that our faith would withstand the test. Bless our wives and our loved ones who are out now. Grant them traveling mercy. Bring them home safely. We thank thee, Father, that most of all we belong to you and that you are our God, our Father, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit who dwells in us. We always have the truth. We have nowhere else to go. The apostles said to you, where else would we go? You have the words of truth. You are the, the way, the truth, and the life, and there is no other place to go. Thank you for opening our eyes and letting us see the light. There's nothing you could ask us that could ever be too much. And I have a funny feeling that when we see your face, we're going to wish we had done a whole lot more. I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Mm -hmm.